0: Well let's see. We have assignment due this week is the third article review it is due on Friday. So make sure you get that in. The Dropbox is there and available through six o'clock Saturday. You can turn it in in there, or you can turn in a paper copy of course on on Friday and then that'll be done. No more articles, yay. Or good, or boo, I don't know. Some people like those because they do poorly on the exams, but then they do great on the articles, so that pulls up their grades. But That is the last of those. Um, Exam 4 is Monday, the 19th. We've got to get through chapter 15, which we'll finish up probably on Friday. We'll get through part of it today and then finish it up on Friday. Um, Chapters 13, 14, and 15. We are going to do it in class. I know. We got plenty. We're doing good here on time, so I have no excuse there right now. I wasn't sure about making updates, but right now we're doing real good. I am going to try something a little bit different, though. Now, I know I showed you these earlier in the semester. I think I gave you the first set of my, my little summary questions that I use. And I told you they're all on D2L. I don't know how many people have ever gone to look at them. But I'm going to give you a copy of each of them for 13, 14, and 15. You can write whatever you want on, on it and bring it to the exam. So not open book. You can't use your book. But if you want to try to answer these questions or write any other notes on these, can't use other notes. But you can, use, you can bring this to the exam and use that. So that may give you a little bit of confidence. That means I'm not going to give you a list, a word bank, though, for like the fill Since you're going to have choice to write down questions, you're probably a lot of them are going to be on here. I'm not going to go ahead and do do that this time. So I will give you that. That'll give you a chance. And again, whatever you want to write on there, you know, if you want to write the answers to the questions, if you want to write your ABCs, you know, I don't. Whatever you want to write on there. If you want to write, you know, the kings and queens of England from William the Conqueror, you know, won't help you much, but you know. Might give you something might give you something to do. That would be a good test for an astronomy class, wouldn't it? So I am going to give you a copy of those. They are available on D2L. I've had these for every chapter. So they have been available there. And I know I mentioned it early on, but I know how well people always remember things too that are that are mentioned. One, two, two, three, four. So you will have that. And that you, and again, anything you write on there you can use as your uses notes with the with the exam on Monday. So hopefully that'll help a little bit give you a little bit better give you a little bit better because I try to use these when I make up the exams as terms of I try to get the content that I cover on here is what's covered on the what covered on the exams. So you can use those I mean what I'd recommend is just going through and sort of sketching answers. Some of them you may know off the top of your head some you may want to look up. I don't promise of course there's a lot of material there you're not going to be tested on everything. So but it'll be a good way for you to, to get some of that information, information down. So I'll remind you of that again on, on, Friday, on Friday as well. Homework 7, which I gave out last time, is due a week from Friday. Yes, a week from Friday is the day after Thanksgiving, as I mentioned last time. So you can turn it in through D2L then. If you're going to turn in a paper copy, you probably want to turn it in by Wednesday because I won't see you again until the Monday afterwards iTunes Quiz 3 will also be up next week, starting on the 19th, covering the pictures through, from the last exam through Friday. few more pictures than last time, but not too many. And there will be a fourth iTunes quiz that will start with November 17th and run through probably around the time of the final exam, or the week before the, the last day of class, and that will be available the final exam week that you can go take. Again, two of those quizzes between iTunes and regular quizzes are going to end up being dropped. So if you don't want to deal with the last one, you can just ignore it, take a zero on it, and it will be dropped and it won't affect your grade at all. So. But it will be up there to give you a chance to drop another grade if you've got quizzes you missed earlier on. And then finally I put up, finally the Solar Observations Project is due two weeks from Friday. Now this Friday lab is actually going to be the Solar Observations Project. So when you leave here on Friday, what I hope that you have is I'm going to give you a set of data. I'm going to go through example calculations. When you leave Friday, I'd like you to have all of my data calculated. So you've done all the calculations. You're comfortable with what, you need, what buttons you need to press to get it done. And get it done right. I'm not going to send you with numbers. I want them to be the right numbers. And the two graphs that you need with my data on them. So you should have all that ready Friday. And then you have, then all you have to concentrate on is the writing up portion. You don't have to concentrate on you know, struggling with trying to figure out where, how you're putting the numbers into the calculator. So that's going to be our lab. Our lab on Friday is actually going to be part of this project. And I'll spend the whole lab period working on, working on that. But I will have you do that. If we don't finish it, I will actually grade those. So I will actually take them and grade them as a lab grade. So you'll get a separate grade on that as, as your lab grade for this, for this week. Any questions on that? Good, good? Alright. Bad, but we can't do anything about it? I I know. Okay. Picture of the day for today. We've got a video to watch, which is our story in one minute. So we're going to take a look at that. It's actually the history of the universe, or history of the Earth, I guess, in about a minute and a half. So not quite one minute, about a minute and a half. Starting with the Big Bang, boom, down through humans. And it pl- takes just about a minute and a half to play here. goes very quickly, of course, through everything and just sketches through. But here's the, see the beginning. You'll see the Big Bang. Boom, the expansion will start. So expansion of the universe starts. You see running through the galaxies there. We'll zoom in towards one galaxy, towards a star. There's the sun. Planets forming around it, still molten. Large impacts, lots of impacts getting smashed in constantly. Big impact destroying the Earth, essentially. Making the moon, creating the moon. That would be that large impact that created the moon. And then the Earth starts to cool down, form water. Life starts to form from single-celled creatures to multi-celled creatures. More complex creatures, so on. Go through time a little bit more. Start to see some little land creatures. You've got the dinosaurs there. Large impact. Dinosaurs gone. Wiped them out little mammals starting to occur. Skip through a little bit more and you get to early humans and fire. Developing tools, developing technology. So telescopes. And sort of in the end you're working back to where you, where we started with the Big Bang. We're working back towards trying to understand that Big Bang. And that's what a lot of the, you know, all of the technological equipment there, the astronomical portion, is actually looking out trying to understand you know, what was going on in that Big Bang, what was going on in the formation, and everything else that we looked at. So kind of a nice little video that goes through everything in, in about a minute and a half. If you do play it, it does have music to it. I didn't play the music just so I didn't have to turn off my recording, because I, I didn't create the music, so I couldn't want to record that. But there is a musical score to it that sort of makes it a little, little more interesting. So you can always listen to that at home if you like. Any questions? Questions, questions? Interesting little video see everything in a, to see everything there in about a minute and a half, going from the Big Bang to, to life on the Earth. The other one I wanted to show real quick was yesterday's. I thought this was an interesting one. This is actually a solar eclipse quilt that was made. So it's actually a quilt that was made. with a bunch of different images of solar eclipses. So a solar solar eclipse that had occurred, a bunch of different images, and you actually see down here, it wasn't a total solar eclipse, but an annular solar eclipse. Because there's the moon blocking out the sun, but it can't quite block it out. There's still a little bit left behind it. So, There's still a little bit left that could not quite be seen, and I thought it was just a nice. It's not a giant quilt, so it's not something that that you'd use for your bed or anything. It was about three foot by three foot. So still, you know, good good size quilt, but not not gigantic. The reason, one of the reasons I picked it out, that sort of caught my eye when I was looking at this yesterday and doing my little podcast, is the person who made it was actually a student, I went, a graduate student, with me at Michigan. So we were actually graduate students together, and I saw the name. Boy, that name looks familiar. So I thought that was interesting. That you know, this she actually made this made this quilt. Now she actually works at the for the Chandra X-ray Observatory now. Thought that was interesting. So two pictures of the day for today, but I wanted to show that one since that came up on a, on a Tuesday. Questions, questions? Nope, we're ready to go out into the universe. Okay. Alright, we were looking at active galaxies, as I recall. And I said 15 is the last part for the exam. I will give that, I will finish it, I'll do a lot, much of it we'll get through today and then the rest of it we will finish up on on Friday in the lecture portion of the class. And before we go go on to lab. So we were talking about active galaxies. Active galaxies were galaxies that were emitting more energy than a typical galaxy. So it might look like a spiral galaxy or an elliptical galaxy in some ways, but you've got more energy coming from it than you would normally expect. It was also that the type of energy was different. It didn't look like the energy from stars. Energy from stars peaks primarily in the visible part of the spectrum. Real hot stars maybe in the ultraviolet, real cool stars in the infrared, but these galaxies had energy coming across the entire spectrum. Lots of energy in the radio, a lot more than you would get from just stars. Lots of energy in the X-ray and gamma-ray part of the spectrum, significantly more than you'd ever get from just looking at stars. So there's a couple different ways you can form these galaxies, and what we're going to look at today is some of these different types of galaxies. I mentioned the starburst galaxies yesterday. They're just galaxies that have an enhanced amount of star formation because they're in the process of colliding. They're gravitationally interacting with some, with a neighbor galaxy, and that's causing gas clouds to collide and excess star formation. That's one type of active galaxy. But we really the ones we want to look at right now are the ones where something's going on in the center. So we have that black hole at the center of the galaxy. And some, th- some activity, something is going on there, that's a completely different type of what we call active galaxy. So that's what we want to look at right now. So that's where we finished up yesterday. And let's see, where are we? Here we go. So active galaxies, we've got three types of them we're going to look at. There are Seifert galaxies. Seifert galaxies look a lot like a spiral galaxy but much, much more luminous, especially the core. Not the overall galaxy, the overall galaxy looks the same but the core is so much more intense, so much more intense radiation Yep. is much more intense, Not, not just twice as much or three times as much or ten times as much, but thousands of times more energy than you'd get. So if you put this and a normal galaxy side by side And you measure the intensity you're getting from this core, this is many, many times, thousands of times, more energy that you're getting from the core of a Siefert galaxy than you would be from a traditional spiral galaxy. So lots more energy. But they look very similar. They look like a spiral galaxy. So in terms of structure, I mean, you can see. I can see spiral arms there, right, some spiral structure to it. You can see what we looked at when we talked about spiral galaxies overall. So we had Seifert galaxies. We're going to talk about radio galaxies. You can guess what that means. That means that they're right in the radio portion of the spectrum. And then finally we'll get out to quasars. So several different types and we're going to look, try to look at the different structures and what our understanding is of these types of galaxies. So Seiferts again look like a spiral galaxy but significantly brighter, not overall, not necessarily out in the arms, but in the core is where the brightness is. A starburst galaxy would not necessarily look brighter in the core, but would be significantly brighter further out. It would have lots of star formation going on out in the spiral arms. So a distinction between those two. What we're looking at right now are specifically the active galactic nuclei. Now, when we look at them, we look at how bright they are, we see that they change very quickly. So, in order for these to change, and you see that the brightness, you know, just some relative brightness, you know, start with one, here's you know, five times brighter, so it's got twice as bright, so it might go here and it might get almost twice as bright, and then it will dip down here much fainter, and then it'll zoom up again. But you see how it's zigzagging, it's changing in a very small period of time. It's changing in a couple within years. You know, this is 1980, 1985. you are only talking about a couple, couple years it took for it to go and get very, very bright and to get very faint, back to where it was again. That tells us that whatever is causing this has to be small. Has to be, in this case, light years across at the most. That's big, right? Light years across. But when you're talking about things at the center of our galaxy, in order to put enough material there. It's going to sort of lead us to understanding that these have to be black holes. So the faster something varies in brightness, the smaller it has to be. Because you cannot vary in brightness quicker than the time it takes light to travel from one edge to the other. If something is a light year across, and the whole thing gets brighter, well, you're not going to see the whole thing get brighter at once. You're going to see this get brighter now, and this is still going to be brightening next year. Then it will start to fade down again. So you take that whole thing together, and if it 's a light year across, then it 's going to take at least a year to show any kinds of variations. If some of these narrower variations are real, where it 's changing on really t- small time scales you 're getting down to things that can only be a light month across or a light week across you know, 're getting down to things the size of the solar system. takes several hours you know several hours, but if you get the outer part of the solar system out into the Oort cloud you 're talking about you know light days to light weeks it might take it might take to travel so we're getting to a v- idea is that it has to be a very compact object in order to cause these great very quick variations so when we see fast variations it means that something is quite small whatever is causing that energy is quite small <coughs> now radio galaxies as i said <laughs> emit very strongly in the radio portion of the spectrum Boy, between the galaxies, that things are actually starting to make sense, right? A radio galaxy is what you'd think it is. It's a galaxy that emits strongly in the radio. There are some interesting galaxies with these. Uh, Centaurus A is the one that's pictured here. That's a very unusual galaxy. Upper left is what it looks like in the visible part of the spectrum. Okay? Big elliptical galaxy, right? Big nice and spherical cloud of stars with a big dust lane going through it. Now if you recall when we talked about galaxies, elliptical galaxies don't have any dust. Well here's the exception, right? This galaxy clearly has dust, it's an elliptical, it's definitely an elliptical galaxy but it clearly has this big dust lane going across it. So perhaps what it might be is maybe another galaxy is colliding into it, maybe it's colliding, a spiral galaxy is colliding into this which would have a lot of dust and that's why we're seeing this combination. But when we look at it in the radio, this is an overlay of the two. There's the, there's the optical galaxy. When we look at it in the radio, we see a lot of radio emission down here. We see a lot of radio emission up here. We don't see anything in the rest of this, right? going right down to the center. So there actually seems to be jets of material being thrown out from the center of this galaxy. So something going on with the collision, which might be feeding that massive black hole at the center. Sending material into it, and as that material spirals in, some of it gets trapped by the black hole. Some of it might get heated to such high temperatures and such energies that it actually gets thrown out perpendicular. Again, not from the black hole itself. Get inside the event horizon, you're gone. You're not coming back out. But if you're in that disk around it, perhaps material can actually be thrown out from the poles around that black hole, the way it's rotating. So we see those. We see these incredible lobes of material which don't show any optical light. Right? We look at this optically. The galaxy ends right here. We don't see anything visibly. We only see radio. So we get two completely different pictures of this galaxy, depending on how we're looking at it. Now, when we zoomed in there, so that's the first one. The second one was the combination picture in the radio and the visible. If we zoom in and look at the center in x-rays, we actually can see a jet of material coming. We're looking very down close to the center. So that bright spot would be the material that's spiraling into a black hole. The jet of material coming out towards the upper left would be material being pushed out by that interaction. And we see these jets are very common. We saw them in star formation. Remember when the stars were forming, we had jets of material that sometimes (coughs) came out of those stars? Well, we see them in galaxies as well. When galaxies are colliding, anytime you have that concentration of material at the center, whether it be a normal star, a neutron star, right? We had the pulses from a neutron star, the beams. You have the black, ho- you have a black hole here sending out material. We see these kind of jets. They're very common in astronomy. We see them all, all over. That jets of materials coming from some kind of compact object. Now, some radio galaxies. That's one kind of radio galaxy where you saw those lobes coming out. The other type of radio galaxy, we don't see that. A little bit here off to the side, but not, not a whole lot. It's pretty much just you're seeing this intense emission from a galaxy. Much stronger radio emission than you see from any other galaxies. So very strong radio source, but you don't see those jets coming out. So why do some have jets and why do some not have jets? Good question, right? And it may actually be, maybe these do have jets. Maybe they are. What if this jet instead of going this way, it's coming right towards you. Right? So this is sending a jet right towards us essentially. Are we going to see it? It just blurred right into the galaxy. So you're looking looking right along the jet as it's coming towards you, you're not going to see anything. And that's likely, it's just the same type of galaxy as we looked at in the previous slide, as we looked at Centaurus A there. But everything, we're just looking right down, so we're seeing the jet right into the galaxy. It all gets combined together. If you could tilt that, if you could come, go travel the billions of light years you need to, to go over here and observe from this side, you might see a jet coming out in this direction. So we can look at that. And this might be what you're seeing, that here the observer is seeing what we saw in the first image. There's the central energy source. The galaxy was here. The jets of material, exciting, exciting material well out from the galaxy, here and here, we saw the lobes. If you look here, it just looks like one great big galaxy. You see that jet coming straight towards you, but you can't separate it. You can't separate it from the rest of the galaxy. You know, in astro- one of the problems in astronomy, we can't go move and look at things from different points of view. We're stuck where we are. So if we could go here and look, and then we'd say, oh, yeah, those are the same galaxy. But this is our understanding right now, is that they're really, whether we see the radio galaxy as core dominated. So core or lobe dominated depends primarily on how we're viewing it. If we happen to be looking right down the axis where the jets are coming, we'll see it as a core dominated. If we're looking perpendicular, as the observer on the bottom is seeing, we see the lobes. We see those jets coming out. So we think that those are, you know, those two two are actually the same type of galaxy. They're actually both what we call radio galaxies, meaning again that they emit a lot more radio radiation. Than a typical galaxy. Now, jets. Again, we saw the jets here, we're looking. Invisible light, visible light. We zoom into infrared when we get way in there, but you can see this is this is that big galaxy in the constellation of Virgo we looked at last time. It's a big giant elliptical galaxy, you know, many times the size of our own Milky Way. It's a gigantic galaxy. And if you look at the center, so you start here in visible light and you zoom in. Towards the center, you start to see some evidence of a jet coming out. And if you zoom even further in and look in the infrared, there's a central source. And you can see a jet being spewed out from that source. There's probably a jet going out in the other direction that just isn't easy to see. The jet coming towards you ends up getting enhanced in brightness, so it's easier to see. The one going away from you ends up getting weakened. So depending on how they're traveling and how fast they're coming towards you and away from you, you can actually enhance the one coming towards you to make it stand out while the other one seems to disappear. But we think the jets will form in pairs. So there'll be one coming out this way, one going out that way. We may just only be able to see one, depending on the exact properties of the galaxy. But we see this in a lot of active galaxies. So it's not just one or two, but in many of the close ones that we're able to observe, we can see a jet in them. Many of them also do show signs of interaction that they're interacting with another galaxy. Again, maybe something is feeding this black hole that is causing this extra energy output, causing it to be an active galaxy and causing the jets at the same time. So it's some sort of you know, feeding mechanism and in terms of feeding a black hole you're giving it what? You're feeding it stars, you're feeding it gas, you're having material that spirals into it deep down there at the center and as that material spirals in, gets heated up to very high speeds, very hot temp- heated up to very hot temperatures, accelerated to very high speeds, and some of that material gets thrown off in these, in these jets. Now, quasars were the last one. Quasars, or quasi-stellar objects, means that they look like stars. So they were, at first, these unusual stars. Looks a lot like a star. Yes, this one has a jet. Let's not worry about that quite yet. But when you looked at these objects, they look pretty much like a star. You can almost see, you know, there's almost a diffraction point here. It's really a point source of light. So these were very unusual stars that confused astronomers for a while, trying to understand, you know, what is going on with these. They have really strange spectral lines that we can't identify. No? We can identify everything We can look at this star and say it's got hydrogen and it's got helium and it's got carbon and it's got oxygen and it's got iron and it's got all this. We can, we can measure what's in its surface. The ones in these uh, spectral lines, the spectral lines in these stars, these quasars, were really unusual. So trying to understand those was important. And what was found, jump ahead to the answer here, what it was realized is that here's the lines. And this pattern of lines that we're seeing was very familiar. That's the second line of hydrogen. The first one is way off there. Second line, third line, fourth line. Just instead of being here in the spectrum where you'd normally find them, they have been enormously shifted towards the red. Not just a little bit. Most of the shifts we talked about were very tiny so far. We said, you know, we had this line shifted and it was shifted a tiny amount. Or this one was a tiny amount this way or this way. This was actually an enormous shift which made it very hard to identify them. Because you weren't thinking to look for hydrogen lines out in this, p- this pattern of hydrogen lines in this part of the spectrum. It's not something you'd normally be able to look for. So tremendously shifted towards the red part of the spectrum. Now, if you recall Hubble's law, that means that they're very distant from us. right? The faster things are moving, Hubble's our, uh, Doppler effect says that the bigger the red shift, the faster something's moving away. And Hubble's law said the faster it's moving away, the further away it is. So these are some of the most tremendously distant objects. They're not stars. They're actually the core of a distant galaxy. So we're not seeing a star. We're seeing the core of a distant galaxy. Not the entire galaxy. The rest of the galaxy is too faint to be able to see. The outer parts, it's so far away that the, re- the rest of that galaxy is not even visible to us. But the core is so energetic that it can appear as a star. You know, not one of the brightest stars in the sky, but a relatively bright object. So, this gave us a problem. Solved one and created another, right? That's how it always works. You solve a problem and three more pop up. Well, okay. We solved it. We found out that these really weren't stars. Oh, they're just, you know, distant galaxies. They're very far away. That means that these things are billions of light years away, but we can see them. It means they've got to be incredibly bright, right? In order for us to see it 10 billion light years away, 12 billion light years away, it's a long distance to travel. Remember the inverse square law. Every time you double your distance, you cut your light, your light gets spread out more and more and more. You now It's going to be very hard to see an object like that. In order for to see these and detect them, they have to be incredibly bright. They have to be the most luminous objects in the universe. Not, not the galaxy as a typo there. Most, uni- most luminous objects in the universe. If they were in the galaxy, yes, they would be. But they're actually well beyond the galaxy. They're well out, we're talking billions of light years away. So in order for them to be still visible and to be that far away, they've got to be incredibly bright. Now you see the image here, again, looks a lot like what we talked about with radio galaxies. And these are all sort of related. But here's the quasar. The intensity is from the center. That's where we measure is the quasar. And then the material, again, you get these lobes, Material is being thrown out of it. And we see where those jets crash into other material. So where they actually excite other material. So it's actually a very thin jet that comes out. When that hits material around it, gases in the interstellar medium, Intergalactic medium in this case. It excites that and causes it to glow, excites that in the radio part of the spectrum, and that causes those to glow. So, this is actually a radio. This isn't a visible image. This is what we'd see in the radio part of the spectrum. You would see the jet, you'd see the quasar, and you would see these great lobes. But they have to be something incredibly bright. If they were not that bright, if this were like a typical galaxy, you'd never see it. You wouldn't be able to see a typical galaxy at that distance. So, it takes a lot of energy. So, not just a little bit we're seeing, you know, a Seyfert galaxy doing something there wouldn't be visible at this distance. When you're talking billions, tens of billions of light years away, you're not going to be able to see it. It's not emitting enough energy. It's going to fade out before you get before the light gets to us. So, it's something that's giving even more energy than that. So, what do we have? Here's the properties we have with all of these active galaxies or the active galactic nuclei, I should say. They're all extremely bright, have a very high luminosity. They all have what we call non-stellar energy emission. Again, that means we're not just getting lots of the light in the visible part of the spectrum, infrared, ultraviolet, right by the visible. We're getting a lot of energy in the x-rays, tremendous amount, tremendous amount of energy in the radio part of the spectrum. So it doesn't look, if we take a spectrum of one of these galaxies, it doesn't look like a star. If we take a spectrum of a normal galaxy, it looks like a whole bunch of stars, stars combined together. So this actually is quite a different spectrum. They're variable objects. We talked a little bit about variable stars. But these objects are actually variable as well. And on very short times. Now these short times aren't like we talked about for the Cepheids or the RR Lyraes, which we're talking about days to weeks to months. They can, some of them possibly can be as short as months. We're talking years or even less than a year that they're able to vary. And in fact, there's been some study that says some of these, there's some parts of these can actually vary in intensity significantly in you know, hours. Boy, we're getting something really small. If you're getting down to hours, you're actually observing something that is well within the size of the, you know, the solar system. Five astronomical units out, that would be about 40 minutes. So It'd be about an hour and 20 minutes would be the size of Jupiter's orbit across that. That would be about you know, a little over a light hour. So if you have things that are varying that quickly, up and down, that means you have to put that whole energy source in that area to do it. Very small area. Again, big deal. That's, that's the, orbit to the orbit of Jupiter. But you're producing energy more than anything that you, can, that you see. And not like a supernova where it's real bright and explodes and it's done. These things, we can observe them. They would be observed them for years. So 50 years ago, they were still as bright. They might go up and down. But they'll, they'll change a little bit. But they've still been very bright for that long period of time. So something is very interesting going on with these. We do see jets in a lot of them. Other sorts of you know explosive types of activity. And as we mentioned earlier, we talked about uh, how emission lines tell us about the rotation. When we see that very broad emission line, it means that a big chunk of the material is coming towards us towards you very quickly, big portions moving away very quickly. And when you combine that whole spectrum, instead of getting a bunch of lines, you get one big smeared out line. The faster an object is rotating, the broader the emission lines are going to be. So when we zoom in and try to look towards the center of these galaxies, towards the center of the quasars or the Seiferts or the radio galaxies, if we try to zoom in and look at them, we see evidence that they're rotating very quickly. And all of that leads back to one thing, is that it's likely a black hole at the center. A black hole is one thing that can account for all of this at once. It can account for all of that energy being produced in such a very small area can account for the extremely rapid rotation because of its intense gravity and account for everything that we see here. So we think that what we call the central engine of these active galaxies is actually a black hole. And a black hole would be present in essentially every galaxy that exists. There'd be a galaxy there. But everyone isn't active. You need something that is actually feeding them. They need a source of energy. If you're not feeding the black hole, if a black hole is just sitting there, it's not going to do anything or not as much. If you're not giving it very much food, it's just going to kind of sit there and not do anything. When you start throwing dust clouds and gas clouds into it, or spiraling around into it, then it's going to get much more energetic. It's collecting more material. You're going to get more energy emitted from that disk around it. So it's a matter of actually feeding that galaxy that gives us the active galaxy. So here's sort of the model of what we think might be occurring. There's a black hole at the center. Nothing there, right? Can't see anything. You can only see its effects. So you see material spiraling into that black hole, spirals around it. That's what we call the accretion disk. That's the material that's spiraling into the black hole. Again, once you get into that black hole itself, you're done and gone. You're not getting any energy, any information out of that black hole. So once you get deep into it, you're done. But as it's spiraling in, it goes faster and faster. And you get friction between the particles as they're bumping up against each other, as that material is spiraling in and getting condensed down towards the black hole. And that gives off a lot of the energy that we see. So the energy isn't coming from the black hole directly. It's coming from this disk of material around the black hole. We think in that inner part of the disk, again, a black hole doesn't have a magnetic field, but you can, can have a magnetic field in the disk around it. And that is probably what is confining these particles and coming out from around the black hole and forms these jets. So one jet coming out this way, one jet going out that way. That's the same thing we saw in the formation of stars, that we see these jets of material. We think of the same thing in the formation of galaxies, material just coming out perpendicular to the disk that is forming. When we formed a star, we had a star with planets forming around it. And you sometimes got, early on, jets of material as this was forming. We see that same thing apparently happening in galaxies. So we see that intense energy. And again, it's all caused by the black hole, but not directly. You can't see. The black hole will not produce any energy on its own. It produces energy indirectly from outside it as it pulls material into it. Once again, if you could just shove all that material into the black hole, it would be done. If it didn't have a very big accretion disk, it's not collecting a lot of material, it's not adding new material. It might be emitting a little bit extra energy, but not near as much. We'd see that as a normal galaxy. When you start throwing extra dust clouds in here, perhaps due to a collision, which would have been very common in the early part of the universe, then we see things that become Seiferts, radio galaxies, and quasars. So an active galaxy. told you about our suns. Our suns is about four million times the mass of the sun. Four million times our, our suns, our galaxies. Our black hole at the center of the Milky Way is about 4 million times the mass of the Sun. Um, In some of these active galaxies, it's a much larger black hole. So there may have been more collisions, more time to build up the mass of that black hole that hasn't happened in ours, in our galaxy. We have a relatively small black hole by those standards. The accretion disk is, again, not just a little disk of material, it's not like the It's not like the solar system forming around the sun. It's entire clouds. So this big, giant gas cloud that would have formed a cluster of stars is actually being pulled into this. And they lose a lot of their mass. They lose a lot of their energy before they disappear into the black hole. If you recall, we talked about nuclear fusion. It was a tiny fraction of a percent that is powering the sun. All those nuclear reactions, each reaction, it was only a tiny fraction of a percent of mass that was lost. Here, you're losing 10 to 20% of the mass that was going in. It's being converted to energy. Well, E equals mc squared, 10 or 20% of big giant gas clouds is a lot of energy. So you can serve to power these quasars for quite a long time by throwing big dust clouds in, it, big dusting gas clouds in, them, in at them. And that's going to, again, that's going to radiate away you know, 10, 20%. It doesn't sound like a whole lot. Still, most of the mass isn't getting radiated away. But converting 10 or 20% of a large number of solar masses into energy, it's a lot of energy. The sun only converts a tiny portion of its mass, and look at all the energy we get from the sun, right? That's just about everything we've got, everything we have here. So, again, the whole idea is the conversion of mass to energy again. Now, we get some very interesting jets here. When we look in them, this is in the, here's another set of the jets. This is what we looked at before. Similar. You've got the galaxy here, two lobes coming out. We want to look deep down into the center of it. Here you can actually see, you know, is there some object that's collecting material down here? Do you have an outer ring of material? Down below? where you're actually what you actually see, what you're actually seeing down there. So you're actually maybe seeing, starting to see, maybe this is the accretion disk. Maybe this is an outer ring of material that is slowly, slowly working its way into there is sort of feeding that active galaxy. So we get some very interesting interesting designs from these and some of the more spectacular images. You know, Typically, an elliptical galaxy doesn't look like much of anything, just a very big blob of stars. So it doesn't show a whole lot. Whereas an active galaxy has all these interesting jets and features going on deep down inside. Doesn't mean that the basic structure is not the same. It's a matter, again, of feeding that, feeding that beast at the center. So feeding that central beast at the center of the, black, center of the galaxy. If you're feeding it, you're going to get a lot more interesting effects. If it's just sitting there calmly with not a lot of material around it, maybe it hasn't had a collision with another galaxy in a long time, and it's just there nice and calm, waiting to wake up again. Right? It won't necessarily be that way. You could always wake it up. You could have a nice, calm central, uh, central black hole and send a lot of material, collide two galaxies together, start pushing material in close to that black hole. Guess what? It'll wake up again. Now it's sitting there nice and calm, it's sort of in a dormant stage. But you could throw more material into it and pick that up again during a collision. And that's why we see a lot of emission from these during galaxy collisions. Now if we look, M87, that's that great galaxy in the constellation of Virgo, that gigantic elliptical galaxy that we looked at earlier. There's the picture of the center. Here's the jet. There's the jet that was coming out of the center. so looking down towards the central black hole there in the accretion disk around it. If we look close to that, so we zoom in. So we'll take this and we're going to zoom in and look just at this core. Okay, here's the core portion. And we're going to take a spectrum of it in two places. We're going to look at it on one side and we're going to look at it on the other. And see what we get. Look at a spectral line there. Find an emission line that we can observe, we can identify. And if we look at that same emission line on one side, it's very well shifted towards the blue. This one is very much shifted towards the red. Again, the larger the shift, the faster things are moving. So if we look at those individual parts, we can actually measure how fast that is rotating. If we measure how fast something is rotating and we can measure distances, we can actually determine masses and find out how many, you know, how much mass do we need there to account for the fact that these that these gases, the gases on this side are moving so quickly towards us and the gases on this side are moving so quickly away from us. How much mass has to be there? And we find that many times it's not just you know, millions of solar masses, but it may be billions of solar masses to account for how fast things are moving, just based on our understanding of gravity. You need a certain amount of mass in order to pull that material. The more mass is there, the faster the objects are going to move. The less mass, the slower. So we can actually measure how fast they're moving and be able to determine then the masses of the not the whole galaxy we're just looking here at the mass inside the mass of that central black hole now as that material is being converted to energy we would expect a lot of gamma rays coming out right as we're converting matter to energy at the sun what are we making what are we making we're making gamma rays so if we could, if we could look at, if we could take off all the outer layers of the sun and look down into it, you know, it's gamma rays streaming out of the sun, streaming out of the core. That's what's actually being formed in the nuclear reactions. It's not visible light, it's not infrared, it's not ultraviolet, it's all gamma rays. So we don't see that depending on how we're looking at it. When you look this direction, when you look down towards the jet, you tend to get a lot more of that. You tend to see a stronger X-ray emission, a stronger gamma-ray emission when you're looking along the jet because there isn't as much material through to block everything out. When you're looking this way at a radio galaxy or at a, sorry, at a lobe-dominated galaxy, as you look through this way at a lobe-dominated radio galaxy. There we go. As we look in there, all that energy, all those gamma rays that have to come out, they have to come through all this whole disk of material. So they constantly get absorbed and re and absorbed and re and absorbed and re and the same thing happens that happens to our Sun, right? Those gamma rays that, e- that are created at the center of the Sun are visible light by the time they come out. It takes them a long time to work their way out. Well, these galaxies, these galaxies are doing the same thing. If you're looking at them in this direction, those gamma rays that are produced are absorbed and re-emitted and absorbed and re-emitted and they might be visible or infrared by the time they actually make it through all this dust. They'll have been absorbed and re-emitted so many times. So you may have created, you know, one gamma ray, you may create that into hundreds of thousands or millions of x-rays and create each of those into, you know, millions of ultraviolet photons to visible photons to infrared photons. So you can take that one gamma ray, the energy isn't lost. The energy just goes from being one photon of gamma ray energy to being billions upon billions of you know, visible light or infrared photons. Same amount, of, same amount of energy. But that's why we get that intense radio emission we saw from some of these galaxies. Intense radio emission <coughs> coming, from, coming from them. So it's sort of, again, it's a say it here, it's a reprocessing of the material. As it created at the center, it has to go out through all this, the way the material in the sun Gamma rays created at the center have to come through all that material to get out to us. And fortunately, by the time they get out, they're nice and visible light. If if the sun was emitting gamma rays, it would be quite dark. If all you could see, if you could expose the core of the sun, it would be quite dark to us. You might have all these gamma rays coming straight towards Earth. Wouldn't be a pleasant thing for us. But, you wouldn't have any visible light photons to really be able to see. All righty. Where are we? All right. When the particles move around, A magnetic field line, we find a new type of radiation. We've talked about thermal radiation. It's primarily what we've talked about. Thermal radiation is the radiation from stars. So peak in the visible part of the spectrum drops off very, very quickly when you get towards short wavelengths. So you don't see, when we look at the Sun, we don't see a lot of x-rays or gamma rays coming from the Sun, at least from the surface. When you go out towards the radial part of the spectrum, it drops down a little bit slower. But you still, when you look at the sun, yes, we can detect the sun in radio waves. But it's not near the intensity that it is relative to its visible light. It has a lot more visible light photons. That's what we call thermal, thermal radiation for a star. Synchrotron radiation gives us a completely different type of spectrum. If we look at how much energy we get across the frequency spectrum, we get not as much over here when we get off to the x-rays and gamma rays. Some here, and it keeps climbing as you go up into the radio part of the spectrum. So synchrotron radiation is radiation we can detect very strongly in the radio portion of the spectrum. And that's why a lot of these objects that are emitting this type of radiation, because it's very easily formed when you move electrons around a magnetic field. So you have these very strong magnetic fields coming out of the inner accretion disk. You have electrons which won't cross the magnetic field lines. Charged particles won't go across them. They go around them. So they actually spiral around. Well, if you accelerate a charged particle, you cause it to give off energy. So it's actually radiating energy. And that's all this whole spectrum. But it's primarily in the radio portion. So we'll see a lot of radio emission from anything that is emitting this synchrotron radiation. We see a lot of radio emission. And that's why we detect a lot of these quasars, we detect the radio galaxies, the Seifert galaxies, as primarily in the radio portion of the spectrum. In fact, some of them were discovered that way. A lot of the quasars, again, were first classified as stars. They looked like a star. When you took a picture of it in the visible part of the spectrum, all it was was a star. Didn't look like a galaxy, didn't look like anything special. Some of them have been classified as stars or variable stars. When you looked at it in the radios part of the spectrum, all of a sudden you found that this star was emitting a lot of radio waves. Something's wrong here. Stars don't emit a lot of radio waves. Yes, I said, we can detect our sun. Well, our sun's right there. It's so close to us. If we're trying to detect radio emission from other stars, we don't detect any. Stars don't emit much radio. So we don't. if we take a radio telescope and point at just a particular star, you're not going to see anything. But when we were pointing at these quasars, we were able to detect a lot of radiation coming from them. Let me see where we're heading. Oh, we're already. I got through 15 faster than I thought. Well, you know what? I'm almost out. I'm not going to try to go, I'm not going to get through the summary in a couple minutes. So I'll wait and do the summary on Friday for you. I'll go over that, but I'll go over that on, on Friday instead of me trying to rush through part of it and stopping in the middle of that. So I will do that on Friday. If anybody else came in later, I do have the handout I gave. So make sure you come and get, get a copy of that, and I'll let you know with that, explain that. And then I will see everyone on Friday. If you have any data, do bring, do bring what you have as well, and I'll let you work on work on that as well.